You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Hey guys, is it just me or are there others here who get distracted when you're on the net? Do you get distracted by some of those things that are down the column? You know, like, um, like oh, click here. Yeah, the 10 uh, scariest near-death experiences. Uh, or click here and you know, uh, 15 gruesome shark attacks. Uh, I would think most shark attacks are fairly gruesome, but uh, it's 15 of the top ones. You know, uh, 10 of the world's worst landings. The one I had this morning in Sydney will qualify. Watch out for that. Uh, it will be there very soon. It was a shocker. Um, you know, 15 of the best footy goals, whatever. And you kind of, they're very tempting. I don't always go into them, but occasionally I do because, well, they're in quick succession. That's why I like to watch my cricket. You know, all the, all the uh, dismissals, one after the other. Like that. Uh, don't, like to wa- don't like to watch for days on end. Just like to watch the, all the dismissals, rank on the news. That's good. Uh, that's all I need. Um, th- these, are, these are usually very specific. They're targeted. They're very good. That's why they're in the package. And they've usually, it kind of saves you the trouble. Uh, if you had an inclination to look at all the, the scary landings, uh, this saves you the trouble because they're all they're there in one spot. So they're very, very tempting. Imagine if there was a package down the side of the internet that said 10 of the most awkward moments between Jesus and his disciples. If there was such a little piece down the side, this incident tonight from Mark 10, it would be there, right near the top, if not at the very top. It's a shocker. These guys had seen Jesus. This is near the end of his ministry. They'd seen him being the the personification of a servant for nearly three years. They'd seen him sit in the dirt among the suffering and the needy. They'd seen him consistently serve without any hint of wanting a reward. They'd seen him as a man basically homeless, penniless, just giving himself, pouring out his life in service and ministry. But they still didn't get it. They just didn't get what it was all about. And so here they are waiting for the right opportunity, just the right moment to to ask Jesus the big question, hey, Lord, you know, <laughs> when you come into your kingdom, whether it's here on earth or, you know, future, uh, <laughs> as you know, we've been pretty close, right? Uh, we've been with you in all the big moments and we kind of like it, you know. Nothing, uh, nothing too demanding. We trust just if we could sit like one on your right, one on your left, just up there, overlooking the masses. And is that okay? Yeah, I, I just begin to imagine how Jesus must have responded to that. Here were guys who'd been with him for three years. Actually, you know, it, it's, there's some evidence that maybe the early church was so embarrassed about this incident that when it gets to Matthew's gospel, Mark's the first gospel, when it gets to Matthew's gospel, guess what? Mum takes the rap. The mother of James and John comes to Jesus and asks, uh, my boys, Lord, you know, they're good boys. Lucy, this isn't now... I mean, we shouldn't be afraid of looking at scripture like this. It's the same event. But you look at any event that's, rec- that's reported and you know, there's a slightly different variation on the, on the details. The mother was doubtless involved, but in, the, in Matthew, she takes the rap. They don't even mention the name of the guys. So this was a little bit embarrassing for the early church. What we have, what we have here is a natural inclination on the part of all of us. Would you agree, guys? Like most of us would rather be served 
than surf. I mean, we've all been in situations where there's, you know, waiters moving around and taking you on, you know, doing, meeting your very, your, your every need. We've been in those sort of situations, you know, the Qantas Club, whatever, Michael McQueen could testify to this tonight. <laughs> um, it's nice. It's very nice to be served. And it's a natural inclination in all of us rather than to serve. So Jesus says to these guys, you don't know what you're asking. You really don't know what you're asking. Now, guys, something clearly was missed by them. I mean, if Jesus says you don't know what you're asking, chances are we have missed something as well. If these guys had missed something and they were with him all the time, we better take note of what they had missed. What was it? Jesus says, if you, want, if you think that being my disciple, if you think that leadership in the kingdom is about status, if you think it's about prestige, if you think it's about power and privilege, you have got it all wrong. They ask the question, can you drink the cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? And I can imagine the two disciples, they didn't say it, but they were thinking, hang on, Lord, Cup of suffering. Well, what's that all about? You know, we're just asking, can we sit on the right and on the left? Can we big note ourselves among the fellow disciples? Can we have a little bit of, bit of influence, a bit of power, a bit of control? That's all we're asking. Suffering. Did we mention that? No. That's not what we're asking. Well, that was the turning point in this conversation. And I can imagine a heartbroken Jesus just lamenting that these guys just didn't get it. And then... What about the extraordinary answer that they actually give? The extraordinary answer, can you drink the cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? And this is, this is the shocker. They sort of think for a while, yeah, that's okay. I mean, and you can picture Jesus going, oh my gosh, you know, whoa, you guys have got no idea. And like, like this is prefaced. This incident is prefaced by Jesus going into great detail about the fact that he's got to go up to Jerusalem. He's going to be handed into to, to some sinful men. They're going to beat him. They're going to treat him cruelly. He's going to hang on a cross. This is what lies ahead. And Peter said, oh, Lord, please, no, no more of this negative talk. You know, it's upsetting the guys. You know? I mean, we love it when we're on a roll feeding the 5,000 and we're riding a crest of a way. But all this negative talk, it's just, Jesus said, look, this is it. This is the future. This is my destiny. This is what it means for me to be the Messiah. And of course, there's a little bit of indignation among the other disciples once they find out about this request. The Bible talks about it. Yeah, the other disciples are very angry. So Jesus, I think a frustrated Jesus, I can picture Jesus quite exacerbated by this, holds a big statement to the last. And he says something that he'd never said before. And he, wants, he wanted them to get it. And he wants generations for all future to get it. And it was this. If one of you wants to be great, so you guys want to be great. If you want to be great, you will need to be the servant of the rest. You want to be number one, then you're going to have to serve all the others. Now, guys, that leads to a question because, I mean, that's, if this is counterintuitive, if this is against our natural inclinations to serve, and if, if that's the key to greatness, then it really, it really begs the question, what's so great about service? What's so great about service? If Jesus says it's the key to fulfillment, it's the key to really understanding who you are, who you are in me, what your destiny is, it's in service. What's so great about service? Now, look, all my adult life I've been involved in Christian service, right? All my adult life I've had the privilege of being a leader or a servant in the church of Jesus Christ. I've made some observations over the years. And I was thinking about them in preparation for this message. 
I've made some observations as to the impact that service has on people and the way in which it frees them and liberates them in line with our theme tonight. You see, service brings a new freedom in worship. That's the first thing. Christian ministry and Christian service brings a new freedom in worship because we're acknowledging that God has given us gifts. When you step up for service, you're acknowledging, whether consciously or unconsciously, God, you've given me something. I I can contribute here. I can contribute musically. I can contribute leadership-wise. I can prepare communion. I can greet at the door. I can lead a group, whatever. You've you've gifted me. You might feel a little bit queasy about the uh, adequacy of your of your gift, but you've been gifted and you acknowledge that. And so that becomes part of your worship. And worship is not more than just singing the songs and putting our hands up and, and having prayers. Worship becomes part of our, the whole of our lives. Uh, Romans 12, verse 1, Paul really nails it here. He says, So then, my friends, because of God's great mercy to us, I appeal to you, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God. Dedicated to what? His service. Pleasing to him. And then I love this part. This is the true worship you should offer. This is worship. As we acknowledge that God has gifted us, as we get involved in ministry, that becomes essentially our most beautiful expression of worship. I love the old saying, came across it years ago. What we have, who we are, that's God's gift to us, right? Let's acknowledge that. What we do with what we have, how we serve, how we allow these gifts to be developed, that's our gift to him. What we have is his gift to us. What we do with what we have, that's our gift to him. I really like that. Secondly, a new freedom. There's a new freedom in how we see others. And that's got to be a crucial factor in our development as disciples of the living Christ. It's an honour to serve. That's the bottom line. And, and, and sometimes I think it takes a, the transformational power of the Holy Spirit to bring us to that point. Because service is so against our nature. It's only when we really are touched by the, by the living Christ that service in the Christian realm, which is real hard yakka for the most part because a lot of service is, is stuff only he and you know about. It's not like, hey, look at me. I'm, you know, no, no, it's, it's just real intimate stuff between you and the Lord. And you get to, to the point where you realise it's just such a beautiful privilege to serve. It's hard to explain. But in our church, in our, our Church of Christ background, um, it's expressed, I think, beautifully with our egalitarian approach to leadership and to gifts. You know, like, like we're all essentially on the same footing. Oh, yes, there's variation of gifts. But it's always been a principle, like we'd call it, if you looked at it from a commercial point of view, you'd call the way we operate in churches of Christ and here at Northside, like flatline management. The theological term is the priesthood of all believers. You know, nobody is above anybody else. Certainly there are different gifts. And certainly leadership is an expression of a certain type of gift. And that, that gift results in influence and movement and, and, and momentum and so on. But it's not on the basis of, hey, I'm better than you. I've got a, you know, I've got a parking spot. I'm the senior pastor. Uh, it's not like that. You know? It's egalitarian. It's, it's a pre- Everybody has a gift. I, I really like that. Um, one of the greatest tools of ministry is seeing people grow and flourish as they get an appreciation 
of the way service changes their attitude to others. They start to see the needs of others more deeply and start to feel motivated to respond to those needs. Look at some of the look at the cumulative work of ministry and service that's taken place in this church over the last 10 years. Some of the stories of, of the way some of you have just been gripped by the Spirit of God. You've gone to remote places on planet Earth and you've, 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 you've used your holidays. And in some cases, you've, it's been a great financial sacrifice. And I, I've watched on with some of this over the years and, and I've done a little bit of my own mission field work. But some of you guys just leave me in awe of what you've done as the Spirit of God just grips you to see others and their needs in a fresh way and just to be so motivated to get out there and do something well here's the third thing a new freedom there's a new freedom in how we see ourselves that's part of the unconventional freedom of service it kind of frees us in terms of how we see ourselves and it has to do with with self-image and self self-awareness never is service like, hey, look at all the service I'm giving. Wow. God, you must be so wrapped in me. I mean, I'm, guys, this church would fall apart if it wasn't for me. You know? I mean, that's a dangerous... And I, I know people who have uh, been touched by that sort of uh, syndrome over the years. And they can make uh, leadership for others and just participation for others very, very difficult. And they start wielding authority based on their experience and their years of service. Not very healthy at all. It's never a motivation, but it is a byproduct. A lift in self-esteem and self-image is a byproduct of service. You show me someone who's pretty together in the way they see themselves. They're not too cocky. They're not too pretentious. They're not too out there. But they're also not at the other end where they go, oh, poor me. Oh, no, me. Oh, sorry. No. They've just got a nice balance. They're generally people who are comfortable in service. And they recognise they've got something to give. Cool. Thank you, God. <laughs> I can't claim the credit, you, you, but I'll, I'm prepared to share it. And I know people rely on me. I know people need me. I know they, they know they need my particular skills, which you've given me, and I thank you for that. During the course of my lifetime, I've seen many US presidents. I've been alive that long. And uh, I've seen many US presidents. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, he was cool. Uh, he was really, actually, in terms of what I've seen, I saw Lincoln, great movie. Um, one of the presidents who only lasted one term, you can ask your, your dad about this one or your mum, was the 39th president, Jimmy Carter. He served in the role between 1977 and 1981. And he was a, an unusual sort of guy. He was from the Deep South. And he had an accent that was pretty hard to understand. And he was probably the most, in that way, the most difficult to understand president in my lifetime. Uh, but he was an interesting guy, a very, very deep Christian. Now, you think about it. Is there a position on earth that doesn't involve being served more than president of the United States? Arguably the most powerful man in the world. This guy had it for four years. I mean, you think about it, President of the United States, you know, people kind of you know, salute. Uh, even when you have me in the military, they still salute. Commander-in-chief, whoa. Uh, they open doors, you know, papers are brought to you, cups of coffee, cups of tea. I mean, any privacy you'd get would be in your own bathroom, and I'm not even sure what security camera arrangements they may have for that, which is pretty scary. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's total... You are being served from morning till night. This guy had that for four years. But 
as a very, very strong Christian, Jimmy Carter, Bible study leader in his church in Plains, Georgia for decades. We had a, a former Northsider here when I first arrived who'd been in his Bible class. She'd lived in, in Georgia for a number of years and she had had President Jimmy Carter as her Bible study leader. And this guy, when you follow his life after he left the presidency, he joined a group called Habitat for Humanity, which I'm sure many of you have heard about. And when he was well enough, and he's an, quite an elderly man now, deep in his 80s, when he was well enough, for year after year, he would go to some remote part of the world and he would roll up his sleeve, not with a camera crew and, whoa, look at me, just getting with it uh, with the rest of the Habitat for Humanity team, building homes for some of the most deprived people on the face of the earth. And I read an extract from one of his writings just recently and he said, my work for Habitat, Humanity, Habitat for Humanity Never before in my entire life have I been more fulfilled, more alive, more in touch with God, more feeling as though I'm reaching my potential as a human being, never other than my work with Habitat for Humanity. Now, I share that because there's a good contrast there. If you've been President of the United States, you'd think you'd say, you know, they were pretty good years, they were cool. Uh, you know, everybody waiting on me hand and foot. He said that nothing compared to my work with Habitat for Humanity as a servant of Jesus Christ. Feeling a sense of worth and value in ourselves, a freedom, a freedom to enjoy the giftedness that God has given us and to exercise it in a way that brings us a certain level of joy and fulfilment. That's part of the freedom of how we see ourselves. Finally, of course, is a new freedom in how we see Jesus. And guys, as you move forward in the Christian life, you want, you want the freedom to see Jesus in all his beauty. And when you take service seriously, you certainly see that. You see the cross become something, not just something we're saved from, saved from guilt, saved from sin, saved from an eternity without God. Sure, that's all there. But the cross is something we're saved for. You see, that was Jesus' ultimate expression of service. He talks about taking up our cross. And that's part of being in ministry. Not to suggest that ministry is a burdensome, you know, just, but it can be. It can be. Taking up the cross is a readiness for whatever. A readiness. I, I look at taking up the cross essentially as a readiness to pay the price. I think that's it. Not everybody has to hang on a cross to bear the cross. But you've got to be ready for anything in Christian ministry. That's the way it is. You know, Paul gave his whole life in the service of Christ. What a, what a magnificent example of servanthood. You know, faced every difficulty imaginable, beaten, imprisoned, criticised. I mean, his experience makes the experience of most of us look pretty tame by comparison. And you'd think that at the end of it all, he'd be burnt out. Might even be filled with a bit of bitterness. You know, kind of served all these years and where's it got me? No super, uh, no, no, uh, you know, no rewards. No mansion on the hill. You'd think he'd be a little bit burnt out because he ends his life in a prison. We're aware of that, many of us. He ends his life in a Roman prison. And it's believed that Philippians is the last letter he wrote. So what do we find in Philippians? Do we find a burnt out guy? He's a bit jaded. He's kind of, God, what have you done to me? Gave my life for you, man. No, no, no. What do we find? This is what we find. Verse 20 of Philippians chapter 1. From prison. Okay, from 
prison. My deep desire. Can you have deep desire in prison apart from wanting to get out? Well, he had another deep desire. My deep desire and hope is that I shall never fail in my duty. He's still talking about duty. He's still talking about service in prison. But that at all times, and especially right now, in brackets, and the opportunities that are presenting themselves here in prison, especially right now, I shall be full of courage so that with my whole being, I shall bring honour to Christ whether I live or die. Guys, I would love to think that when Graham Agnew gets to the end of his life and ministry, he could say even one-tenth of that. That's inspirational, isn't it? My, with my whole being, I just want to keep on giving, serving, participating, getting involved. Wow. And, of course, the ultimate example of service is Jesus. That's why this, it's freedom to get a new perspective on what he did. But what's verse 45 of our reading tonight? The Son of Man came not to serve, or rather not to be served, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is our ultimate example of service. It's in him we find freedom in the ways that I've shared tonight. Guys, I was 19 years of age in Perth and uh, I was involved in a great church. In those days, it would have been the equivalent to Northside Community Church. It was South, South Perth Church of Christ and like we had young people Falling out of the walls and windows, it was just huge. We had about 50 in our senior youth group and many others in junior groups. It was a dozen basketball teams. It was the place to be, the place to be seen, and the place to connect with people. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and I was enjoying life. I was 19 years of age. I had an E.H. Holden. White, absolutely white. Chrome wheels. Wood rimmed steering wheel. And I would spend most Saturdays cruising. <laughs> and you had to get right in the pre seatbelt days, uh, you could get nuzzled right into the side of the door and just cruise and uh, see if anybody else wanted to cruise with you. Uh, it was pretty <laughs> scary, scary thought, I know. And you know what? I, I, I was involved in nothing. In church morning, in church night, loving the songs, loving the youth group, having a great time. And I got home from work one night and my mother said, Graham, Mr. Wood wants you to ring him. Mr. Wood was our minister. And my first thought was, oh my gosh, what has he found out? Uh, you know, like, <laughs> seriously, oh my God. Because like in those days, in a big church, he was the only minister. The only minister in the church about, about this size, right? That's the way they did it in those days. Uh, crazy. And, and like ministers didn't, they just didn't ring up. Uh, unless you were dying or something like that. And so I rang him and he said, Graham, I'd like to see you in my office on Sunday. Oh, my gosh, what has he found out? What has he found out? Well, you know what? That man did me a great favour. George Wood was an amazing man. And even long before I ever thought of being a minister, some of you know I've shared this before, I used to get this thought, if ever I was a minister, not that I'm going to be, but if ever I was, I'd like to be like George Wood because he was such a, an incredible leader. Anyway. He sat me down and he said, Graham, you're probably wondering why I've uh, asked to uh, speak to you. I said, oh, yes, Mr. Wood. <laughs> Trying to be as I'd warm a tie and looking really speak. Uh, he said, Graham, you don't do much around the place, do you? I said, oh, Mr. Wood, I'm here every week. And then he said, look, look, don't, he said, don't, don't need to you know, feel guilty. You don't do much, do you? You said, I, I've got a leadership role for you. I'd like you to consider it. It's leading the, one of the mid-range youth groups which was mainly upper primary school, early high school. 
He said, I'd like you to lead it, Graham. And then he, he really gave me the, the big selling point. He told me the girl he'd chosen to be my co-leader. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, he, he was a very smart leader. <laughs> and uh, he, he had chosen well. And uh, I've been trying to meet this girl for ages, you know. And um, all of a sudden, I was going to be planning meetings with her. Wow. So uh, it was just time for a quick prayer and say, yep, I'm in. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. I, I actually, I, I seriously, but I knew. Do you know what, guys? I tell you what, I have never been out of leadership since that I took on that role. Now, some of you heard that story before, but I like to share it because sometimes it's just a matter of just being available. I, that's when I got the the call to ministry in, while leading that youth group with, with Diane. We, we, we had a terrific time just for a couple of years before I left went to Brisbane. And it was only within 18 months of leaving Perth that I got the call to minister and responded to that call. Somebody saw that I wasn't doing much. I heard somebody recently say in a conference, people today aren't so much looking for community as they're looking for leadership. And I'm still thinking about that. And you can get community anywhere, like at different levels. We'd like to think in this setting it's at a deeper level. But you can get community. You can hang out on Friday nights. People are looking for leadership. They want to follow somebody who's going to inspire them, who's going to lift them, who's going to bring out their full potential, who's going to take them to exciting places. I don't just mean physically or geographically. I mean like exciting places emotionally, spiritually. Wow, we've got it all. If you're looking for leadership, you want to serve a great leader. And if you serve a great leader in your work, I've always been the leader in my, in my ministry settings. But I remember when I worked for BP Australia, I worked for some leaders who were just phenomenal. And you'd crawl over crushed glass for them. I worked for other leaders that were shocking and you couldn't wait to get out of the place. You know, this leadership has a great effect on us. You will not get a better leader than Jesus Christ. You follow Jesus Christ, he will bring out the best in you. This is just the start. This is just a, few, just a few highlights. The testimony of so many in this congregation is that they have become who they are and they are becoming who they are because they are in service for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They have found leadership, which is above community. That's what brings out our best. Guys, if you're in leadership already... Give it your all. You might be facing some tough times. Talk about it. Work it through. But give your all to Jesus Christ in service. I've spent a lifetime in the church. I'm not regretting one minute of it. It's where the action is. It's where you'll become the person God intends you to become. If you're yet to follow Jesus Christ and yet to get on the journey, can I, can I ask you to consider him tonight? Just have a good look at Jesus Christ. Yeah, you might have hang-ups about the church. That's not where we base our assessment of Christianity I mean that's part of it uh, but if you, if you base your whole assessment of Christianity on the church you'll go away disappointed because the church is flawed it's just made up of human beings we make mistakes we do all kinds of crazy stuff but you look at Jesus Christ have a good look at that man and tell me what you see a world changer the one around whom history revolves B.C., A.D., numero uno, number one. Are you following him? Would you like to? You can tonight.